2002. Think of 2002. It's a while back. Let me, uh, one of the ways that helps me to think through what happened, if you can look at all the events that happened, but to me, one of the ways, just look at the movies from 2002, just to list a few that the first Spider-Man with Tobey Maguire, the first one, came out in 2002. Born Identity came out in 2002. For those of you, uh, Lord of the Rings, Two Towers came out in 2002. Uh, Harry Potter people, the, the Chamber of Secrets, is that right? I, I, I'm that weird guy where I wasn't in that age group. And so Minority Report, Santa Claus 2, The Pianist, Catch Me If You Can. All these movies in 2002, 16 years ago. 16 years ago, right around this time, uh, we found out that as a church, we re were renting property uh, at the University of Minnesota in a small little church there. Uh, church size was about uh, 175 to 200 people. And we found out right at this time, 16 years ago, that our, the building next to me here on my left, the, our other church building was going to be donated to us. When I say donated, I mean donated. Those who don't know what that word means, it means donated. Not costing us anything. There were, someone's gonna get, they were gonna shut the church down and give it to another church, free. In fact, there was like 15 grand in the bank. They gave us that too, paid the legal fees and all that to, to transfer it, but crazy, right? And so <clears throat> now since we've expanded also, we have this building, and I know that's another whole story. But when we started the church, we asked ourselves a question. We said, what should our Sunday gatherings look like? And we thought about that, and there was only 14 of us at the time who literally were in my living room. I know that sounds very cliche, but it's true, okay? And so we thought about what that would look like. And in 2002, when we found out that we were going to be getting this new space that we were going to open up in the middle of 2003, we went through a process and we asked ourselves, we have a chance here to reinvent ourselves. We get to be a little bit different. And so what would we do differently now that we're downtown? And so we, uh, we thought it through again. We made some changes to our Sunday morning worship service. And by and large... We've done that for, uh, you know, since 2003 on, 15 years. And so right now, given uh, this series we're in right now, the waters in which we swim, and some of the thinking about our culture and how things are changing, what people's perception of church is, and the fact that we are uh, going to be hiring uh, some staffing situation regarding our worship ministry, our music ministry here at Hope, we decided this would be a great time. We're calling it Worship 3.0. 1.0 was when we started, 2.0 was in 2002-3, and 3.0 will be now, and trying to figure out where we are. Right now, there are around seven or eight teams that are task forces looking at the questions. What kind of worship uh, is out there at other churches? What, what should be some of our driving philosophies? What should we become and set ourselves for the next 10 years or so? Now, we are not taking a hard right turn. Don't... I was left. Sorry. Other, other right. Uh, we're not going. I guess it was for you. I was, I was your right. We're not doing that. So don't, don't, don't freak out about all that. But, but we are going to make some changes. Or we're working on that. So in, in, in one of the ways of thinking about this is it's kind of like a remodel. I am, uh, we're, we're right now in the beginning phases of looking at a kitchen remodel for our home. Uh, our home was built in 1915. Uh, no, that's not, is that right? 1915. Yep. And, uh, and they remodeled it in 1955. 
So what's that, 50, 63 years? Every 63 years, I guess, a guy should get a new kitchen. And the ironic thing about this is uh, I've lived in the home for, since 1990, 28 years. I, my part-time gig was cabinetry, <laughs> and so we still have these, this old kit. Anyway, we're going to remodel our kitchen. In remodeling our kitchen, um, and I'm going to call the cabinets, get everything ready. My goal is to come in there and do demolition and then have everything going every smoothly, because it always does in remodeling, and 10 days later, turn the water back on. Huh? Huh? Now, I like this service. They laughed at me first service. They laughed out loud. You're laughing, I know, because she's like, yeah, I'll believe it when I see it. She's thinking, uh, just want you change that from 10 days to 10 months. It might be true. So, anyway, you have to shut off the water, though, for a while. And in order to do this, in order to give our worship teams a bit of a break as we rethink, in addition, Lower Town is coming up with their own worship group. They're going to do it all internally, so we don't need two bands here at Hope every week. We are going to make a, a change that's going to affect us for four and a half months. And the change will be we are not going to be doing simulcast services at 9 a.m. Now, for you at 11, it's not going to affect you except there'll be more people here because uh, it'll be really tight if everybody wants to fit into this one room. We need to do that. We need to shut off the water here just for four and a half months. Of course, maybe that's how my kitchen remodel is. It'll end up being 10 years or something. But anyway, uh, four and a half months. So from the middle of June or January to when we reopen it, we are going to reopen it, and it's probably going to look a little bit different, and maybe it'll have more uses. So we're looking at that. But I just want to pass that on, that we are going to be making that change, but it's really to move forward. This thing will implement. The aim is, the goal is, and we're on, we're on, uh, we're on schedule right now, the old goal is implementing this change by August of 2019. So, okay, with that said, <clears throat> let's move ahead. We're in this series right now called The Waters in Which We Swim, meaning taking some things that our culture teaches us and, and we want to be people that are going to be, like Jesus says, in the world but not of it. So in other words, we want to learn best we can but ask ourselves, if we truly hold the Bible to be true, uh, then how does some of this fit with that, right? How does that work? And we take in different areas like happiness, and happiness is a great thing, but does happiness mean I get to trample over other people just so that I stay happy? Or uh, we've looked at a whole bunch of different things. And the issue we're going to look at today is the issue of the tolerance narrative. What we need is tolerance, or, now, and I'm going to say this snarky, so, but just, just so you get the point, though, the tolerance narrative kind of says this, we need to accept any thought unless we don't like that thought, okay? That's what the tolerance now is. So, first thing we want to do is, we, what we try to do is, is understand the narrative, what is it actually saying, and then we're going to look and filter it through the Bible and say, what, what, is the, what does the Bible have to teach us on these things, the good, bad, and the ugly? Okay, so, Understanding the narrative. A lot of people, there's a, there's a, as I did some research on this, there's a lot of ways to go after this issue. Probably the easiest way is what people have called the old definition of tolerance, which, by the way, is still in most dictionaries. Uh, some of them are tweaking it to what we call a new definition of the word tolerance. And I think the word has shifted. The old view of tolerance came from a treatise by uh, Voltaire, Way back, 
And Vol Voltaire has two quotes that I'll just read for you real quick that if you redo any study on tolerance, you get these two quotes. First one, what is tolerance? It is the consequence of humanity. We are all formed of frailty and error. Let us pardon reciprocally each other's folly. That is the first law of nature. So what's he saying here? He's saying, it's not that we don't have opinions. I do have opinions, but I have to acknowledge that I'm not perfect and neither are you, and so I need to listen to you. And even if I totally disagree with you, I need to at least pardon reciprocally. In other words, allow you to hold those thoughts even though they may not drive with my thoughts. The more famous one by him is this. I do not agree with what you have to say, but I'll defend to the death your right to say it. If you remember in the Vietnam War when, when some of those troops were being interviewed, this is in the 1960s, and they were asked about what they thought about all the protests back home, some of them answered and said, the very reason I'm over here is to protect their freedom so that they can protest me being over here. That's why I'm here. Okay? That's old understanding of tolerance. There's a new understanding of tolerance. And the new understanding, when you use that word now, uh, and I would say it, it shifted about, it started shifting about 40 years ago, and it, it, it clicked in around 30 years ago. How many of you are, are 30 years or, or under are in this room right now? Oh, come on forward. Children's church, come on right down front. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, the, uh, if you're 30 or under, this is just the way you've understood the word. This is just what it means. But what it means is this. It means, tolerance now means is that you will not say anything that causes within me strife. You, you will not say something that, that makes, brings a strong reaction or opinion that is different than mine. You'll just keep it to yourself. And if you don't do that, you are intolerant. That's the new definition of tolerance. It's led to what people have called political correctness, right? Don't cause any waves. Don't say anything that might ruffle the feathers at all, right? And so as a result, there's been a lot of pushback on this, a lot of memes a lot of cartoons. Here's one right here uh, where this is, says, uh, welcome back students to your university safe space. Please issue a trigger warning if you are about to commit a microaggression. Right? All these new words that you have to navigate. And the guy says, or the brain says, so long you won't be needing me, right? Snarky, snarky, very snarky. But, but the idea is that you're creating this space or this place where we're not going to say anything that would cause me to have a, a, an issue. Uh, and there's a phrase called a trigger warning now. Trigger warnings can be very good things. When you come into very difficult uh, conversations regarding perhaps abuse and that kind of thing, that's great. But now it's become trigger warnings regarding if I'm going to talk to you about uh, uh, maybe an issue. Uh, there you go, snowflakes, right. I was going to say gun control and whatever else. And, 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 and again, a trigger warning would be true if you'd had someone who died in a, in a, with a gun-related incident. But, but if that weren't true... Now it's, that word has changed. And so uh, this is a Washington Post article in 2016. And it's written about, I believe it's the University of Chicago. I forgot to jot that down, but I believe it's the University of Chicago. And uh, this is a quote, and uh, it says, as dean of students John Eliason puts it, and now the, this is where John Eliason's quote happens. And he says, this is a letter that they sent all the uh, uh, 
incoming freshmen and all the returning students. It said in 2016, it says, our commitment to academic freedom means that we do not support so-called trigger warnings, we do not cancel invited speakers because their topics might prove controversial, and we do not condone the creation of intellectual safe spaces where individuals can retreat from ideas and perspectives at odds with their own. In other words, uh, and this is a growing trend, is we don't want people to be upset, so we're not going to bring people in that make people upset. But of course, the people that decide that are the people that maybe their views are making people upset, but that doesn't matter, right? And so this is what George Carlin, the comedian, has said. And to be fair, George Carlin is no fan of organized religion, okay? Uh, but neither am I. So, and one of, the one of the things I often tell people is if you don't like organized religion, you will love Hope Community Church. It's very disorganized. So, um, <laughs> George Carlin said this, political correctness is America's newest form of intolerance, and it is especially pernicious because it comes, because it comes, uh, because it is, come, it comes, disguised as tolerance, okay? So the idea is here is that we're doing that. Now, so that's where you're, you're kind of in this, what it used to mean was we agree that we disagree, but I'll die for you. I'll die for your right to say what I totally disagree with. And now it means if you say anything that I don't like, you're intolerant. That's maybe an overstatement, but that's kind of what's there. So let's filter this thing now. Let's filter this thing and ask about what does Scripture say about tolerance or tolerance or whatever. I, you got a tolerant that I can't spell tolerance there. So <laughs> next slide. Uh, I'm going to give you four things. If you had an insert with you, you'll see four things. I'm going to give you four kind of topics and then give you kind of a little buzz phrase. So as you leave here, you can think about these four little buzz phrases. First one, Jesus faced opposition. Jesus faced people who disagree with them, and he did it with tolerance. Luke 9. Luke 9 is in the story of Jesus' life. He's wandered around all these different places, and now he is going to go back to Jerusalem. And he knows that when he gets to Jerusalem, it's going to take a while in the book of Luke, but when he gets back to Jerusalem, they're going to crucify him. He knows that. Okay? And here's what happens, Luke 9, 51. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Another translation says, set his face towards Jerusalem. I'm going there. Now, he kind of meanders to get there, but he's, it's a planned trip to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him, but the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. Samaritans were half-breeds, they were half-Jewish and half-not, and so they didn't really like the, the, the Jews in Jerusalem, and so they don't like that he's going there. They disagreed with Jesus. Don't go to Jerusalem. When the disciples, James and John, saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? <laughs> now, I, I, I love these guys, right? This is what James and John asked Jesus. They come into this thing, people are like, Jesus, you're wrong. You're wrong, Jesus. Don't go to Jerusalem. And James and John say, Jesus, we got this. We got this. Uh, we'll call down fire. I mean, if you could grant us the power to do that, but that's all you got to do. We'll call down fire from heaven. And look at Jesus' answer to them. Jesus turned and rebuked them. No, I don't want you calling down fire from heaven. Then it's in the white space, but it's there. He looks at the crowd and says, they're, they're kind of a work in progress. Okay, okay. 
Then he and his disciples went to another village. Right? That's tall of us. So, this is the most Captain Obvious thing on planet Earth, but I'm going to say it because it's the key to being a tolerant person. You cannot possibly tolerate someone unless you disagree with them. If you think tolerance is, I've got a bunch of friends and, and we all tolerate one another, but we all think the same, that's not tolerance. That's called being part of a party. You can only tolerate someone unless you disagree with them. Point number two. God is incredibly intolerant of sin, as we are to be as well. And yet, he and we are always to love and tolerate everyone, including the sinner of which we all are. Listen to this passage. This is uh, Paul in, in Romans chapter 12, and he gives this list. And you can see some of the things seem... Not contradictory, but you can see the tension, and you got to do both of them. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. You hear that? Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Okay, so hating what is evil. All right, I get it then. So I'm supposed to hate certain people. Huh, let's see what it says here. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope. Patient in affliction. Patient in affliction, faithful in prayer, share with the Lord's people who are in need, practice hospitality, bless those who persecute you. What? Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. That's tolerance. Hate what's evil. I, we're gonna definitely stand against things and policy and, and sin in the world, but I'm called to love every single person and want a blessing on their life. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. So my takeaway from all this is simply this. Not caring does not equal tolerance. If your definition of tolerance is, ah, go ahead and do whatever you want, that's not it. You don't tolerate that. That's not caring. Scripture teaches us to care deeply for people and to disagree deeply with people and to say at the same time, I love you. Come over to my house for dinner. We're going to hang out. Watch the game. Watch them destroy the New England Patriots, right? It's a prophecy. All right, so... Could be a false prophecy, so I better be careful. So, uh, but you, we hang out, we love one another, and I disagree with you. Could disagree with you more deeply. Third, things uh, uh, when it comes to the issue of religion, people often get away from religion and politics, right? Because it causes things to happen. If you look what happens in the name of religion at times, even in the Bible, it's amazing. When Jesus comes on the scene, he comes as a Jewish man and he's first starting to reach Jewish people. And some of them say he is the Messiah and they become Jewish Christians. All right, Later it spreads to everybody, but it's just Jewish Christians. Others say, no, he's not, and it causes this division. And the division is so steep, they kill each other. 
This is a situation by a gentleman by the name of Stevens in the book of Acts, chapter seven. I'm named after him, Stephen. He ends up dying for his faith. My middle name is Paul. He ends up dying for his faith. My mom had a death wish for me or something, uh, Stephen Paul. So here's Stephen. He's at the end of this long talk about who Jesus is and how he is the Messiah. We, we are to follow him. It says, you stiff-necked people, your hearts and ears are, are still uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestor did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. You have received the law that was given through the angels, but have not obeyed it. They respond. When the members of the Sanhedrin, that's the religious council at that time, the Jewish religious council heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. Right? But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their lungs, at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city and took good-sized boulders and they began stoning him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their uh, coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, Receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out as the stones are hitting him. Lord, do not hold the sin against them. <clears throat> are you kidding me? Even this thing they're doing right now, they're killing me. And I know we, we, we have this Sunday school way of looking at this. This was a brutal way to die. Think about it. That's tough. And Saul approved of their killing him. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him, but Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged them off, both men and women, and put them in prison. This guy by the name of Saul comes around. He is now on a mission a religious mission, and he believes on mission from God to destroy these Christians and to kill them. And in the amazing irony, mercy, and tolerance of God, this guy by the name of Saul becomes a follower of Jesus, changes his name to Paul, and is the guy that wrote one-third of our New Testament. So, those things that we mo believe most are the best cases for us to be tolerant with those who don't. And today, that's religion and politics. Politics, probably even above religion. Lastly, how are we gonna do this? How do you do this? Speak the truth in love. Truth, absolutely. We're not just, we're not, we're not, not caring, we're going to care, which means we speak truth. But you do it in such a way that people go, oh my goodness, these people love me. They really do. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become, in every respect, the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. What does that mean? That means that we are gonna be people that are, that are characterized by love. I still remember, as if it were yesterday, 
a few years, might have been one or two after we received the, the, the gift of this building next door, uh, I was driving with a friend of mine who wanted to see the space, a college friend of mine, and we were coming from my house, and I remember exactly where we were when we said it. We were right on uh, Highway 55 here, Hiawatha Avenue. We're coming in, and it was right on, on the bridge that goes over uh, with the 35W, right there, and he asked me a question. He used to ask me about the church, and then he said this, would you say that your church is characterized by love? I said, that's a good question. That's a good question. I thought about that since that time, and I've said, would people say that about me? They say, that's true about Steve. So I want to read a passage here that you often hear at weddings. You hear this often at weddings. It talks about love. And I want to read it through once, and then I want to do a little something with it. It says, if I speak in that, this is the Apostle Paul speaking, and he, he's talking about the importance of love. He says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Now, in order to kind of land this thing and make it practical, from verses four to eight, insert your name. Steve is patient. Steve is kind. Steve does not envy. And what I want to do is I close here, this portion of it, I, I want to insert us as a church. Would people say that about us? So Hope Community, are we kind? Hope is, hope, excuse me, hope is patient. Hope is kind. Hope does not envy. Hope does not boast. Hope is not proud. Hope does not dishonor other churches, other people. Hope's not self-seeking. We're not easily angered. Hope keeps no record of wrongs. Hope does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Hope always protects, always trusts, always hopes. Hope always perseveres. Hope never fails. Now, how do you, how do, you do that? How do you become like that? And the only way you can become like that is because you know how much and how full your love bucket is by God. If you're looking at me right now, right behind me, there's a cross. And that cross screams to you that God loves you. Romans 5, verse 8 says, but God demonstrates, shows off his own love for us in this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still, well, he was just tolerating us. He didn't agree with us. We were sinners, hell-bent away from him, and he dies to pay the penalty for our sin. That cross screams to you, you are loved. Just like the passage you read earlier. We love because he first loved us. That's how you do this. You don't go, I just want to be more loving. No, you say, Jesus, I am that loved by you. 
I am completely safe and secure in your love. And you tolerate me, even tolerate me now in my messiness. <sighs> and now I can love others like that. We live in a season right now uh, that uh, would, would, rather, um, would rather win a fight and not care about being loving. Or a better way to put it is, would I rather win an argument or, and, and lose a friend? Or would I rather just be patient and keep a friendship? We live in a culture right now that if somebody says something on Facebook you don't like, you just defriend them. Yesterday, uh, I heard that uh, our 41st president, uh, George Herbert Walker, Bush, 41, uh, 41st president, he passed away. And uh, this morning, 6 a.m., I heard Bill Clinton, and he read a letter that was put on his desk on the day of Bill Clinton's inauguration. So if you're not familiar with that history, George H.W., uh, uh, first George Bush, was uh, running for a second term, did not get it, lost it to Bill Clinton after a very rousing um, and they disagreed on, let's see, that's right. One of them's a Republican, one's a Democrat. That's right. They disagree on everything, right? <laughs> and yet during that entire thing, when all these accusations were coming against Bill Clinton, George Bush said, I will not speak to those. I'm going to look at his policies, and I'm going to look at, uh, we disagree on those. Let's talk about that. On the day that he is now going to have to leave office, he lays this letter, or this is a copy of it, on, <laughs> woo, get that. Uh, he lays it on the, the, in the Oval Office on the desk. It's the first thing when Bill Clinton comes into that new office space for him. He will see this letter. Here's what it says. It's dated January 20th, 1993. Dear Bill, when I walked into this office just now, I felt the same sense of wonder and respect that I felt four years ago. I know that you will feel it too. I wish you great happiness here. I never felt the loneliness some presidents have described. There will be very tough times, made even more difficult by criticism you may not think is fair. I'm not a very good, a very good one to give advice, but just don't let the critics discourage you or push you off course. You will be, and it's underlined, our, you will be our president when you read this note. I wish you well. I wish your family well. Your success now is our country's success. <clears throat> I am rooting hard for you. What Republican writes that for what Democrat today? What Democrat writes that for what Republican today? This is tolerance. This is saying, dude, I could not possibly disagree with you on anything but I'm rooting for you. I believe as we move forward, this will be one of the key characteristics that marks the church of Jesus Christ. Let me close by asking you a couple questions. First off, do I tolerate people with gospel-driven love? And even as you're now thinking right now, do I have a single person I could say that I love deeply, that I know deeply, that's my friend, 
And yet I disagree with them on some important things. Let's pray together. Lord, there is no way that we can be tolerant of others unless we are completely secure in your love. So I pray for that first and foremost, right in this room right now. Lord God, I pray for for everyone in this room that if they're a follower of you, that you'd give them that security. If they're not yet a follower of you, God, you'd let them see you in such a way that they would want to say yes to you right now and say, Jesus Christ, I want to give you my life. Be my Savior, be my Lord. I accept your love for me. Make us secure in that love, and therefore, let us be your light in this age right now of of complete outrage that we would be so different. I ask for that, God, that we truly would be tolerant people, people who love each other from the very depths of our being. Make it be so, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.